0: Well, tonight, who's having a good night? Who's having a horrible night? Anybody? I just want to see if anybody was honest tonight. I'm having a bad night right now. I can't get this thing up here. There we go. All right, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Tonight, we're going to continue our Bible study with the Beatitudes. Jesus brings his disciples together. They are busy with dealing with the multitudes. Jesus has just a short time. He knows it. His disciples don't quite understand everything that's happening. They are following someone that comes alongside of them, and he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And through this short period of time since that point, Jesus now is is the multitudes have gathered, and the Bible says in verse number one, he is in the mountainside, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. He just wants to talk with his disciples. He is not giving them how to be saved or a works-based salvation. He's not saying, behave a certain way, and God might accept you. And We talked about that last week. He's not giving them another gospel. There's only one gospel. That's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Last week, we started this study on the Beatitudes, and I felt after I was finished with it, I just felt like I didn't do a, a great job um, trying to get so much information in this that um, this is going to be a five-week series. and I, I'm, My goal last week was just to kind of lay out we're looking at these, this beatitude, and the the order of it, we see the first three, look again with me if you would please, the first three beatitudes here, we find this in verse number three, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are they that mourn, blessed are the meek. This is what Christ begins with, and, and, and this is in a, in a specific order. It's not just random. He's not just pulling these out and they become random what he's showing us is this when someone is poor in spirit there's a pattern that we see here when they that mourn those that are meek something begins to happen inside of them and that would be this verse number 6 there becomes a hunger and a thirst after righteousness you see many of times we want the end of this we want as believers I want to be a peacemaker and we set out to try to be a peacemaker and live with peace, and we find ourselves constantly frustrated. We find ourselves with good intentions, but when we get placed in the, in the moment to live out this way, we, we fail, and we get discouraged. Or we find not just peacemakers, uh, pure in heart. We want to have a pure heart. We don't want to have sin and wickedness and, and, and our heart to be uh, just evil thoughts. And we want that, and we get frustrated because we set out. We want to put those things aside and those things that tempt us. and We want to live this life, but we start that way, and we realize we don't have the strength on our own to do it. We're merciful. I talk to many people. They want to be merciful. It's hard to forgive, and they think they forgive for a period of time, and then something frustrates you. Have you ever thought you were over something only to find out you're not over it at all? Something happens, something transpires, and when you get hysterical, you get historical. And it all comes flooding back. You thought you were over it. You thought you had it forgiven. You thought you were merciful in that situation, only to find out you're not. You're not over it. Jesus is teaching his disciples, yes, he's teaching them blessed, and that word blessed means simply this, happy. How many of you want to be happy? How many of you don't want to be happy? Anybody? Be happy. We, We do things in our life. We make decisions in our life in order to be happy. How many of you ever bought something that was going to make you happy? How many of you bought something? How many of you, it made you happy? How many of you, you sold that later at a garage sale? I mean, the thing you had to have that made you happy you now are selling. It's sitting out on your porch and somebody with a truck, a stranger, is coming by and picking this thing up that you just had to have. You know, you know what we find? and What he's going to teach his disciples and what we can glean from this, the things of this world don't make you happy. They can cause a moment of happiness, but it doesn't satisfy And if you're trying to find something he's teaching and he's developing and he's training his disciples to live by faith, to trust him, to live uh, in a place where they're going to endure persecution, he understands because he's God what they're going to deal with later on. They don't yet understand this. They don't understand what's going to happen. These same disciples right now who are learning this, he's sitting them down. These are going to be the same disciples that are going to be killed for their faith. They're going to be persecuted for their faith. They're going to be uh, hung upside down for their faith. They're going to be tortured for their faith. They're going to be jailed for their faith. They're not ready to understand that. And what Jesus is doing is teaching them how they can have true joy. Blessed, the blessings of God. Happy is the man. We want to start with the end But you can't get to that place of being a peacemaker. You can't get to the place of pure in heart. You can't get to the place of being merciful and truly forgiving until you hunger and thirst after righteousness because you can't do it in your own strength. But a person doesn't come to the place of hungering and thirsting after righteousness until he is poor in spirit. He learns to mourn and he's meek. I said in three or four or five minutes what it took me 45 minutes to say last week. The first three will produce a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, which in turn will allow us to be forgiving, merciful, pure in heart, and peacemaker. All right? Today, tonight, let's start with the first beatitude, and that is found in Matthew chapter 5 and this is what Jesus gives the very first beatitude he gives to his disciples he says this blessed happy are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven happy blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven nobody wants to be poor how many of you your life goal is to be poor anybody I'm not asking if you are poor. I'm saying, how many of your life goal? I want to be poor. So some may wonder this. If, if no, no one wants to be poor, so why, why how, how can a poor in spirit then be blessed? That word poor, when you think about it, how could anything that's poor be blessed? But Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. The the message of the the Beatitudes, they're they're one that our culture is so opposite in how they think. Jesus is teaching, whether it was here 2,000 years ago, especially today, this is not something that in culture we, we just easily accept. To be poor in spirit, somebody asked me last week, so what does poor in spirit mean? They asked me after the message, and I said, I guess I didn't lay this out. We're going to go through each of these over the next several weeks and understand all of these together. To be poor in spirit is the first mark. Would you please write this down in your heart someplace? To be poor in spirit is the first mark of a person that walks with God. To be poor in spirit, Jesus is teaching us, blessed, we see that these build upon each other, get us to the place where we're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, so therefore it changes our actions so we can be forgiving, we can have a pure heart, we can be a peacemaker in any situation we find ourselves in, but first we must see this, that, that being poor in spirit, it's the first mark of a person that walks with God. This is an attribute of somebody. This doesn't mean, like, listen to me, this doesn't make a person get saved. This is what a person that always already uh, is saved, a person that has trusted Christ as their Savior, a mark of that person that is walking with God is one that is poor in spirit. Take Isaiah, for example. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter uh, 6, if you would please. We're going to be there in just a moment. we you find your place there. Isaiah was a great example of this. He was a gifted and a godly preacher. Isaiah is, is if he was in ministry today, people would be flocking to his ministry. He would be one of those preachers, one of those men of God that would probably fill stadiums. He was a gifted preacher. He was a wonderful preacher. If he had a social media account, he'd be one that was, you know, millions of people would be following him to hear what he's going to say. He was that great of a speaker, that great of a preacher. He had so much going for him, this man Isaiah, this prophet. But we find in Isaiah chapter 6, in verse number 1, the Bible says, "...in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne..." high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. He's giving us a view. Isaiah, this gifted preacher, this man that has so much going for him, he comes into the presence of God, and he sees the Lord, he says here. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, and twain he covered his face, and twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. Just imagine there in the presence of the Lord, you see these seraphims, these mighty angels. One cried, he hears this one cry unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Just imagine the the view, what he's seeing, what he's hearing here. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And then we find Isaiah's reaction to all this. He said, then I said, woe is me. For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah's reaction, this gifted man, this wonderful preacher, this prophet, his reaction when he was presented to the Lord was this, Woe is me. If, if Isaiah felt undone in the presence of God, how do you, where does that leave the rest of us? Could you imagine being in the presence of God? The, the world saw all of his gifts, the world saw all of his talents, but in the presence of God, Isaiah only saw his own need. Please don't miss this. He may have been somebody He may have had great talents, he may have had great gifts, but in the presence of God, Isaiah didn't see any of that. All he saw, he was the one that had a need. Woe is me. Coming close to God made him poor in spirit. Coming close to God, when Isaiah saw himself in the presence of God, it caused him to be poor in spirit. You you may be successful or talented or s- the smartest person that, that, that is ever known in a certain area. You may be at the prime, the peak of your life, but if you have truly met with God, you'll know that standing alone in his presence, you feel lost. As Isaiah, you feel undone. Would you please write this down? Pride can only live in the soul of a person who is far from God. Because when God comes near to pride, it has to go. A person that is poor in spirit, what you would find is this, they're not filled with pride. They're not filled with their accomplishments, who they are, their successes, their talents, who they believe they are, they come into the presence of God, and their spirit is one that would be described as poor in spirit. Let me say this again. Pride can only live in the soul of a person who is far from God. You cannot be filled with pride and be walking with God. It's impossible. Because when God comes near, pride has to go. Pride has to go. That's what happens here in, in, in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter number 6. It's exactly what happens here. Here is a man that in the presence of God, he understands he is unclean. He is undone. He says, woe is me. In the presence of God, the gifted prophet became poor in spirit. And Jesus says this, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that aren't filled with pride. And Jesus says that this is where it begins. This is where the blessings begin with a person that's poor in spirit. See, you'll never get to the place of forgiveness if you're full of pride. You, 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 Because you'll never get to the place of being a peacemaker when you're full of pride. We want to be a peacemaker, but when the situation comes, we can't be because there's pride in our life. We want to uh, uh, deal uh, in, in uh, uh, pure of heart and in those things that we find at the latter end of the Beatitudes. We want all of those things, but we have to understand none of those things can exist because we have to first hunger and thirst after righteousness, but you'll never hunger and thirst after righteousness if there's a pride issue in your heart. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Becoming poor in spirit, it goes against the grain of our culture. Would you say that's true? Being poor in spirit goes totally against the grain. We live in an affirmation junkie age. Do you agree with that? We all have to be told how great we are. And we all tell everyone how great we are. And we want everyone to know how good and great our kids are. We live in an age where we are constantly, constantly needing affirmation. We need everyone to tell us how great we're doing. That is the opposite of poor in spirit. I had a fellow, I had a fellow when I was pastoring in Georgia, he said to me, he he came in, and, the, I mean, it was just a mess. He had multiple affairs. and He came in and I, I said, what, what is the root of this issue? What is your problem? And he said to me this, he said, my wife just doesn't tell me how great I am enough. And I said, and so... You've justified a sinful life because of lack of affirmation. But the reality is this, we love, how many of you love affirmation? How many of you need it? I've seen your social media accounts, come on. (laughs) The, The reality is we love that, we strive for it, we need it. If we're not careful, that fills us with pride. Wisdom, wisdom says this, trust in the Lord. Wisdom says, trust in him and doubt ourselves. De- trust him and doubt ourselves. How many of you ever thought you had a really, really good idea one day? Anybody? How many of you a day or two later realized you didn't have a really, really good idea? but you were convinced the day previously or the week previously, it was a great idea. Only to find out it wasn't all that great. That's trusting in our own. Trusting in our own uh, uh, ourselves. And wisdom tells us this, trust in God. You say, where do you find that? Well, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says what? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto what? Thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. That goes totally against culture. It goes totally against our grain because God's saying this, I know what's best for you. On your best day, you don't. It, we, though, so often put what we want and our desires, but, but our culture turns that on its head and says, trust yourself and doubt God. That's what culture says. That's what our flesh says. Trust you. I mean, even Burger King has it, right? Have it your way. You know, we live in a culture where we want it our way. We trust us. The reality is this, Christian. God is the only one to be trusted. The teachings of Jesus is the, the opposite of the creed that says, believe in yourself. The person says this, would you write this in your heart someplace? The person that says, believe in yourself, is tempting you to put yourself in the place of God. And that's idolatry. Anytime someone says, just believe in yourself, what they're saying is, put yourself in the place of God. And anytime you put yourself in the place of God, that's idolatry. And that's not healthy. And that's not the place that, that we as Christians ought to be. And Jesus is teaching his disciples this. This is not the place that a follower of Christ needs to find himself. A place where you're full of pride. A place where you're full of your desires. A place where you're, there's no room for God and his will. <clears throat> and I'm not saying this, that at times affirmation is not, is not needed. I think at times affirmation is needed. But I believe this, Christian, when we use it, we need to be thoughtful. We need to be thoughtful how we use it, what we're teaching our children, how we're using those words of affirmation. And what I mean by that is this. We don't want to pump the Christian, we don't want to pump our ego with you-can-do-it attitude. We want to teach our children with God's help. You can do it. It's it's much better. It's a much better uh, reflection of our Christian faith to say the Lord will help you. It's much better to encourage others with this. Jesus will never fail you. Philippians chapter number uh, four, verse three, the Bible says this. I can do all things through who? Through Christ. And sometimes our words and what we say really is, it captures what our heart attitude really is. But I believe this, those, in order to be poor in spirit, we've got to understand we cannot do it in our own strength. We can't do it in our own power. We can't do it in our own thoughts. We need God's help in every situation. Hear me, if you're a parent here this evening, you need to be teaching your children that. Don't don't raise children to be prideful to think that they're all something. And and, and teach them that if they do something, it's only because of God. If they do become something, it's because of God's help. It's because Christ promised never to leave them or forsake them. It's because, uh, uh, as Philippians 4 says, I can do all things through Christ. We can only be what... uh, uh, Something, if I—and that's even the bad word to use—but but if there's any success in life, Jesus Christ gets all the glory, and the, and, and, the, and nothing to us, because you can't be poor in spirit and filled with pride. That's where Isaiah stood. And he didn't look at what I have to offer and who I am. And he didn't come into the presence of God saying, look at me. I'm I'm a wonderful preacher. I'm a a, a great prophet. I'm doing great things for the Lord. and, And God is really using me and has really talented me. He comes into the presence of God and he says, woe is me. I'm undone. Something he says here that's very interesting as well. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. What's the blessing that comes with that? He says this, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This, this verse, what even got me on this subject as this study myself is my dad had some old books and um, some, several of them were uh, some Spurgeon books and others were just some old Puritan writers and uh, just one of those books that if you, the, almost the cover just keeps falling off it's so old. And it really started digging into this old Puritan writer, and they were talking about this. He was digging into this verse, and he challenged thinking, the reader to think through this, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How many of you are in heaven right now? Well, the Bible says it is. Now, will be is any English teachers in here, will be is what? Future. Future. Is is what? Present. How is theirs is the kingdom of heaven that's present? How many of you are in heaven right now? Anybody? We will be. How many of you will be in heaven? Great. You know what they... In writing and studying through this, many, many writers, many of those old Puritan writers, they say this, what you're finding, what you're reading is this, Jesus is giving them, you're going to get a taste of what heaven is now. We can live life on this earth and experience a taste of what heaven is. How many of you would love to experience a taste of heaven? I know I would. Now, this is is something. We're not going to experience our mansion until we get to heaven. So he's not speaking of that. How many of you can't wait to see that street of gold? You're not going to see it until you get to heaven. You won't see You're going to see through it. There's there so many things, angels, and just, just what heaven's going to be. How many of you can't wait to see, see Peter at that, that gate? Huh? Huh. I don't know if he's really at the gate. Those, all those things that we understand of heaven, the reality is it's those that of us are saved. We're not going to see any of that until we get to heaven. So what could Jesus be speaking of? How could we get a taste? What are we going to get a taste of heaven with? And that's this. The poor in spirit taste the greatest blessing of heaven. You know what that blessing is? The presence of God. You're not going to see your mansion. You're not going to see the street of gold. You're not going to see the gates. You're not going to see the angels. You're not going to see all the wonderful things that you're going to see in heaven. But you know what? Every single believer can experience? The presence of God. As we dug into that, as I read into that and dug in, I thought, what a remarkable thought. There's one thing I don't have to wait till heaven for I can have now is the presence of God. One of the greatest things that we're going to get in heaven is we are going to be in the presence of God, but we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to experience his presence. The poor in spirit taste the greatest blessing of heaven which is the presence of God. Turn with me, if you would, please, real quick to Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57, and look with me in verse number 15. you there with me? Isaiah 57, verse number 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one, inhabiteth eternity. Whose name is holy. Who's he speaking of? That the lofty one is capitalized, holy is capitalized. Who's he speaking of? God. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite ones. What's he saying? He dwells in the presence of those that are humble. There's a blessing that comes when we humble ourselves, and that blessing that we find here in Matthew chapter 5 is this. It's the presence of God. That is one thing that we do not have to wait till we get to heaven to experience. We can experience the presence of God in our life here. God often, and and, and hear me please, please hear me, God often uses the harder experiences of our lives to get us here. We say this again. God often uses the harder expen- experience of our lives to get us here to this place. It's because when many of us come to this place, when we say this, I don't have what it takes to face this. You ever been there? I don't know if I can get through this. I don't, I don't know, I don't know if, I, if I have this. God says to you, I'll dwell with you there. A prideful person that thinks that they have all the answers, a prideful person that life is all centered around them, a prideful person that that there is no poor in spirit, they'll handle all their problems. They'll deal with everything. They've got life the way they want it, and they don't have a poor in spirit. You know what they miss out on? What God desires to do. He wants... You'd experience his presence. I believe this. Sometimes God allows us to go through heartache in our lives because in those times is where we truly, really understand his presence. You know, many a times in my life when I get to the place of being overwhelmed, how many of you have ever been overwhelmed? Let me even know what that word means. <laughs> it's in those moments that, that God gives you his presence. I said to my wife just the other day, um, we're talking about Vision 2020 and I realized this, you know what the, the easiest thing was? To give the vision. Now I'm like, this is hard work. But you know what? I, Lord convicted me as I was studying through this. I think, I don't ex- remember exactly, I can go back and listen to it, but I said something like, Our church can accomplish this. And you know what the reality is? Our church can't, God can. And, 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 and it's not going to take me pumping us up and saying how good we are. We got this. We can do this. No, it's going to be a poor in spirit, humble person saying, we can't, but God can. We don't have the resources. We don't have the, 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 the genius to do it. We don't have the, the mind to do it. We don't have the strength to do it. We get ourselves in times of being overwhelmed. And you know what? In those times, the greatest thing we can experience is the presence of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's something you experience, and it's the presence of God. I remember separate, different times in my life. I remember parenting. How many of you remember your first child? How many of you were overwhelmed, like, with the first child? I think we've been overwhelmed with many of them, but I remember that first child. We we could not believe that they were letting us take this human being home. If I told you some stories that we... That happened to us in the in the in just there at the hospital. We weren't mature enough. I, I wasn't mature enough. Michelle was she was just fine. I wasn't mature enough to take this baby home. I'd never changed a diaper in my entire life. I still haven't. <laughs> I've never fed a baby. I still had no. I have done that when they cry, we burped them, we changed them, we fed them, and they still cried. What are we supposed to do with this thing? I remember just so many different firsts and so many different times where it's just overwhelmed. I remember the first time that a lady brought her 17-year-old son to my house at 1.30 in the morning because he wanted to commit suicide, and He's sitting in my living room, and I'm saying, what am I supposed to do? Like, what would you bring him here for? I, I remember standing on Mother's Day afternoon in that hospital room and seeing little Evan on that table, and those two parents are on that table with him praying that God bring his life back. You want to talk about overwhelmed. So often God has placed me in a place as a father, as a pastor, as a human being, as a dad. Any title that I may have, he's placed me in that place. And you know what he consistently shows me? You can't do it. Break down your pride. You don't have the strength. But I can and I will. Because God's not willing to share his glory with anybody. He doesn't say, well, you can have a little as long as I get the majority. God wants it all. He's not willing to share it with any amount that belongs to him. And in those places where we don't have the strength, we come to a place of being overwhelmed. So often, if we're not careful, church, Christians... We come to God with our hands full, like we have something to offer God. I can preach, I can sing, I can do this, I can give, I I have something to offer you. When you come with your hands full, you're not ready to receive what he has. When Isaiah came into the presence of God, he was poor in spirit. He didn't say, God, I'm somebody, I'm a prophet. Boy, I can preach. I, I can challenge the people. I have something to offer you. An old Puritan writer by the name of Thomas Watson wrote this If the hand be full of pebbles, it cannot receive gold. Let me say it again. He said, if the hand be full of pebbles, it cannot receive gold. And if we approach God like we have something to offer, like we have something, and we're full of pebbles, he can't give us what he wants. And what we have compared to what he wants, why would we want anything other? The poor in spirit drop the pebbles. The poor in spirit receive the gold. Write this down, please, and I'm almost done. When you know that you have nothing to offer God, you are in a position to receive everything he has to offer. When you know that you have nothing to offer God, you now are poor in spirit, and you're in a position to receive everything that he has to offer. I'm going to give you just three things. I'm going to give you these three things on being empty-handed. You just let the Lord use these in your life. We'll be done. Empty-handedness will do three things. When we come to God empty-handed, we come to God poor in spirit, ready to receive from Him, receive His presence. It releases us from the falsehood that God owes us something. God owes me nothing. He's given me Jesus Christ, but he owes me nothing. When I come to him with a pride, prideful spirit, when I come thinking I'm something, when I come thinking he needs to use me, You don't come with a poor in spirit, but when you come empty-handed, it releases you of the feeling of the pride that God owes you. No, number two, number two empty-handed, empty-handedness will help you bear affliction. The Bible says humble yourself in, under, the, under the mighty hand of God. You see, when somebody's poor in spirit, whatever, whatever they're dealing with, you know what they understand? It's The strength is going to come from God. It's not going to be my might or my strength or my intellect that's going to get me through this. I can, I can deal with any affliction when I know I'm in the presence of God. Do you, do you, is, is there anybody in your life that you just like to be in their presence? Have you, ever been, have, you, have you ever been in a place where just simply being next to someone that you love, in their presence, maybe an arm around them, it just seems like even in the midst of a bad situation, everything's going to be okay? You ever been there? The... That's where God desires for us to be. And when we come to the place of affliction, we don't get overwhelmed. We don't come to a place where we dwell in fear. If we have this poor in spirit, we realize this. Even in that place of affliction, God's presence is there, ready to receive. We we don't need to come to a place of affliction and then tell God what we have. Sometimes God brings you to a place where you don't have the resources. You don't have, you cannot fix this. But his presence will. Number three, empty handedness will release you from the feeling of self and pride. I like this this these um uh, I don't even know how I got on this somebody sent me this this uh these first first amendment audits uh a little while back anybody ever see those first amendment audits somebody goes around with a camera and they 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 start trouble so they could claim they have their first amendment and it's kind of funny at the same time it's kind of annoying but they're 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 looking for tyrants that will try to take away their First Amendment right. They call them tyrants. If you don't don't give me my First Amendment right, you're a tyrant. Let, Let me tell you this. If you're full of pride, you're a tyrant to yourself. Because you're behaving in such a way that where God wants to give you his presence, where God wants to give you a touch of heaven, where God wants to be involved in your life, you're saying this, God my hands are full my way is better my pebbles are so much more important my pebbles that i have to offer are so much more needed than what you have for me in coming empty handed before the lord it releases you of yourself coming to the place where you're poor in spirit you simply are saying god You're in control. Your presence is more important. We want to come to a place of being a peacemaker. You'll never be a peacemaker if you're full of pride. You'll never never enjoy the presence of God if you're full of pride. He dwells with those that are poor in spirit. The first, first look we have, the first verse, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the first beatitude, as we study through this series, we'll take two weeks off, be back here in first Wednesday in January. We'll look at this, the second beatitude. The first beatitude before we get to that second, how many of you want to hunger and thirst after righteousness? I do. You'll never do it until you're poor in spirit. How many of you want to sense the presence of God. I know I do. You'll never do it until you're poor in spirit. You can't leave here with you being number one. You can't leave here with you being in charge. You can't leave here with you and life centering around you. You've got to leave here poor in spirit. That's the first step to get us to a place of hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Father, would you help us tonight